0: We're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Welcome to Wayfinding Growth. This episode of Wayfinding Growth is brought to you by Sprocket Talk. Now, if you're ready to take your HubSpot experience to a whole new level, you need to join Sprocket Talk as a free VIP member. That's right, free. Tutorials, courses, training, HubSpot updates, and so much more. Head to sprockettalk.com slash WG.com to join the movement and get an exclusive Wayfinding Growth deal. Welcome to the show. I'm your co-host, Dan
1: Moyle. And I'm Remington Begg. We're glad you're here. So today,
0: uh, on today's episode of Wayfinding Growth, we are talking with Chris Savage, co-founder and CEO of Wistia, and host of Brandwagon, which I'm absolutely loving. So go watch that or listen to the new podcast as well. That's kind of a spinoff with extra content. Um, Chris's company actually helps brands grow with video and storytelling and as much as YouTube can be that great place for video distribution that everybody seems to use. Wistia actually gives you so much more power over your content, your analytics and teaches and they teach a ton about video and content marketing. So this was a lot of fun. And Chris as uh, as CEO has helmed the Wistia ship through this growth journey. So yeah, great stuff, man. I'm so excited we made this happen.
1: Yeah. So Dan, why don't you talk to me about what you loved most about this episode? Man,
0: I took for viewers, uh, all these notes right here that I, I'm going to try and pick two. I don't know. Um, I loved how Chris said that when they had to have a tough discussion with their clients, they, 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 they tested it out a couple different ways and he was, they were very honest and very upfront and very transparent, but it missed the mark until somebody told them just communicate in a wistier way. This doesn't feel wistier to us. And it was like this light bulb moment. So that is what branding comes down to. And that was a great thing to unpack. Um, the other thing that he said that really hit me personally in, in a leadership role, your superpowers can be your greatest weakness. I was like, Ooh, that's good. And so he unpacks that. So I like both of those. How about you, man? Well, what did you take away from this?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting ties in line with some of the conversations that I'm having with team members even right now. It's like, I don't have all the answers and historically that felt really uncomfortable. We talked about He's like, it's actually great when the, when the owner can disclose he doesn't have the answers and try and ask for help to solve them. So that's one. Um, the other one is it takes time to build a business. Um, you know, like this overnight success, uh, we keep like having this like mentality that I think we, we, ha- we compare ourselves towards. And, you know, Wistie has been, you know, trucking along. They've had shipwrecks. They've had wins. They've had a lot of a journey. Is that they've been really great at disclosing, but they've been in business since 2006. Um, so, you know, 13 years as of, at the time of this recording. So it's been a fun journey, but at the same time, it's work, you know, and I think that that's something people need to compare themselves. Um, I really loved how he talked about profitability and there's a lot of intention behind things, but one of the most important things that he dropped in there was talking about as you grow, it's easier when you're two people in the first year you're in business. But be really good at being close to your customer as you grow. And I think that that is some amazing advice that people are going to be able to like dig in on. And it's sounds simple, but it's also, I think something that can get really, really, um, diluted mm-hmm. as people grow. We'll say the wrong way, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that was huge.
0: It's funny how those, those simple things can be so mind blowing when it's framed mm-hmm. the right way, right?
1: Yep. Holy shit. Good psych. stuff,
0: man. Yeah. Great episode. I'm so excited. Here it is, friends. Season two, episode 12 with Chris Savage. Let's set a course for growth. Well, Chris Savage, welcome to Wayfinding Growth. Uh, happy to have you on. Big fans of Wistia and of course of Brandwagon. So welcome to the show, my friend.
2: Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely.
0: How did, how did you, uh, so I want to know this before we get into all the rest of it. How did you call dibs on hosting Brandwagon? Cause that had to have been a hot. Seat. <laughs>
2: It was highly contentious, uh, and broke down through, um, a rock, paper, scissors war that I eventually won.
1: There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. eventually. <laughs> eventually. I win this. <laughs> yep.
0: At that point, I think I'd be like, rock, paper, scissors, fire, because it melts everything. So I win. <laughs> but anyway. That's great. So, so go ahead, Remington, kick it off for us.
1: Yeah. So, so one of the things that we want to know is like, the charting the course we call it. So you can take this you know for Wistia. Um mm-hmm. or if you want, you can even bring it to Brandwagon if you want. You can, both would be great actually. Okay. But how did you so how did you find yourself here today, like in the position you're in at Wistia with Brandwagon? Like talk talk to us about that journey.
2: Yeah. I so, you know, I think um we'll start at the beginning. When we started yeah. Wistia, I started with my co-founder Brendan, we honestly thought that we that doing a startup meant you could make something and then sell it really fast. And we were incredibly naive. And when I signed on with Brandon to do this, I was like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to run out of money in six months. Um, and then we'll sell it. And we'll we'll sell it and be rich or we'll fail and we'll tell no one that we tried. That, that was like, honestly, <laughs> that is what it took to convince us to start. Um, and yeah, it's been a much longer journey than I ever could have imagined. And it's funny because like, you know, it's been 13 years since we started, but eight months in when we were objectively failing, like we we're trying lots of stuff, but it wasn't working. Um, it was actually fun. Like I just loved, I loved waking up in the morning and not knowing what I should do and just guessing, just making stuff up. Like it felt like play. It's just like, well,
0: mm-hmm.
2: what should we do today? I remember literally one conversation was like, we've cold, we're cold calling a lot of people to try to talk to them about video. But like at the end of the day here maybe we should start cold calling California and do California cold calls. And so that became a thing. And, you know, some of them worked. And um, yeah, I think over time, you know, the company started to scale. We raised a little bit of money and uh, we found our way to, I think what we do best, which is taking creative risks and like putting the company in a place where we can be profitable. And uh, for us, for me and for Brendan being profitable, we found is what gives us the confidence to do a lot of the things that we think should work and that we're excited about working, but that, um, that were really hard for us to do when we were losing money. Um, and we were losing money in the early days just tr- because we hired some people and you try to grow, we got profitable. And then again, actually, we pushed the h- company really hard to try to grow the business, to try to grow revenue. We hired tons of people. We got into tons of funnel optimization stuff, all stuff that seemed like it was good um, and we thought it was willing, we were willing to cut into our cash reserves to try to grow. And we, d- we noticed that like as that happened, we got less and less long-term focused and more and more short-term focused because when you're losing money and you can count how many months you have left, if you lose more money than you expect four months, it, it creates a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, we figured out that being profitable gave us confidence. Um, we figured out we wanted to build the business for the long term. We figured out the creative risks were our jam and, that's how I ended up, you know, being here with Wistia. And honestly, that same exact path led us to uh, to building Brandwagon.
0: So is that That's a big awesome. risk for you guys to build, to start Brandwagon? Like, take us to that conversation, kind of where to come from, who objected, how did that feel for you as a CEO?
2: Yeah, um, you know, Brandwagon was actually not hard to do uh, because we thought we hear from a lot of folks about about brand marketing and that they want to be doing brand marketing, but it's confusing. And a lot of brand marketing, especially at startups feels like it's hard to measure. And, um, so it was actually like, because we we're already profitable and because we were, we had set the business up to do this. It was like, well, should we make a bunch of content and go deep on this? Like worst case scenario is we're, we're going to learn more about it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> best yeah. case
2: scenario is maybe, maybe some people pay attention and really best case is like this thing takes off, but worst case scenario, we're just going to learn. And it was actually pretty easy to do. Um, but we did a project last year that was a lot harder to do because the, the business was not in the same exact spot. And that was a project called One Ten One Hundred.
1: 100. Mm, I was just to ask you that.
2: Yeah. So that's our documentary where we gave sandwich video $111,000 and had them make three ads for us with different budgets, one with a thousand dollar budget, one with a $10,000 budget, one with a hundred thousand dollar budget. And then we documented the creative process and kind of the link between, um, money and creativity. And that was really exciting to do, but when we signed on to do that, we were didn't know we were what we were gonna get. Like we thought maybe we'd get the three ads. Um and then if we we thought, well, that's expensive for us to make three ads like this. We don't normally do a ton of advertising. Um let's document the process so we can hopefully get some blog posts. And the team went out and they shot it and they came back and they're like, this is way more than a blog post. This is not a blog post. This is something bigger. (laughs) I'm like, okay, how, what is it going to take? They're like, we're going to have to go back out there. We're going to be shooting for months. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. But, um, we layered that on. And then, you know, we, we wanted a way to feature one of our products. So we featured soapbox and that de-risk stuff. And we felt like the L and D for the team would de-risk stuff. And so actually in that case, we just layered on so many risks that we felt like if any of them worked, it would probably be worth it. Um, (laughs) And it was, I didn't really realize we were doing that, We just kind of did it. And it was funny because we released the three ads by themselves first. And they took off in a way that I never could have imagined. You know, there's like, you know, millions of views on Twitter on these ads, Um, which is a crazy thing in and of itself. And then day, so day two, I was like, I think the project was probably worth it, you know. What's going to happen next? And then the trailer was seen by millions of people. Well, that probably is worth it. And then the documentary was seen by tons of people who were like, oh, okay." And it ended up uh, really working on many fronts. But the initial way was like layering risks on top of each other.
0: And, and do you think anybody thinking about growth and and building an audience d- does that work for basically anybody? Hey, let's try this and document it, and we'll create some content. Like that's
2: yes. Cool. I think if you are have a culture. Where you're willing to be transparent and, um, so you can share your, your losses
0: hmm.
2: and the learnings from the loss. If you can get confident doing that, it can create a lot of freedom to take risks because you go in there being like, well, we're going to try our damnedest, but if it doesn't work, we're going to teach everyone about why it didn't work. And you, <laughs> so and that don't... actually is a really compelling, that's some of the best content is just that. Hmm. Um, and so yeah, I think that figuring out other ways of, that you could benefit from a project like that can be one of the ways to help them take off. I think the other thing is like start internally, you know, start with small projects internally. It's funny. I've talked to a number of people who are excited about making shows and often the way they start is like they made one for their company. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you have to be the right size business, but there's this company, um, nextiva that does telecommunication stuff. And I think when they're about a hundred people, they made a show because they really felt like they were losing. To, to kind of strengthen their culture as more people were joining the team. They wanted to highlight different people on the team and teach everybody about what they did. And they started to do this thing and they were really goofy and fun with it. And of course, everyone engaged with it because it's direct; it's exactly the right audience. And That gave them more confidence to eventually take bigger risks in, in their marketing.
1: That's interesting. And that's a really cool concept when you think about it, that like internal marketing almost. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's also just like,
2: I try to remind myself, we're living in this world with all this data but like this world has only existed for 10 years. So how did everyone do it before it? Like, what did they do? How did they make decisions? And there's a hell of a lot more qualitative data that you get. Um, there's surveys that you do, just talking to people and saying like, what do you think of this? And uh, I think if you can if you can make sh- everyone comfortable u- using that qualitative data, it makes it actually much easier to take risks. Because mm-hmm. um, even if you take something and you show it to 10 people and everyone's like, oh, this looks really good if they're the right people who should be in your target audience, often it is pretty good.
1: Right. Good point.
0: Yeah. That's great stuff. So speaking of risk, uh, I want to know one of of course, wayfinding growth, all about navigation and and charting the course, right? Uh, What's one of your biggest shipwrecks that you've had taking those risks And, and what, and what did that teach you then too?
2: Yeah. Um, so one of, I can think of a few, uh, <laughs>
0: which is probably yeah, good.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: that means we made a, a
2: mistake yeah. with, uh, which one should I talk about? What's the most devastating? What was the board? <laughs> um, we made a mistake where we got very focused on short term and we had introduced some new pricing. That's probably four years ago. And, um, we'd introduced some new, pr- we were testing some new pricing and, we thought this is going to be where we would end up. Um, and someone on the team said, well, you know, we have all these people with grandfathered pricing. We should probably tell all of those people about this new pricing. Makes some sense. Yeah. And then they said, we have all these free accounts. We should probably tell them too so that they don't miss out on the new pricing. Well, okay, makes sense. And very quickly, without much analysis, uh, someone put together an offer, one person, and they sent out an email with this offer of this site like, pricing deal. And it looked like it was wildly successful. So, uh, huge spike in numbers of customers. One of those things where you look at it and you're like, wow, whoo. People could see these charts. They'd be jealous. You know, this stuff is, (laughs) this stuff is taking off. Um, and you know, it spiked way, way, way up and then it, it dropped pretty precipitously, but we got a lot of new, new customers. All right. Great. Then you go, um, a few years later, and you know, we we did that spike, and so we tried other offers and other things. And we had trouble getting the same kind of response. You know, we did huge discounts, we did things, and we couldn't we couldn't pull these customers out of our out of our network. Um, and so that was curious. And then a few years later, we started to have a problem where uh we noticed we didn't notice right when it started happening, but our gross margin. So that is you know the revenue minus the cost of serving the customer. Um, you want that number to be high in a SaaS business. And it was, it was slowly going down. Um, Mm. not so much that it was like an urgent issue, but you know, it was like, whatever it was, it was like 70%, 69%, 68%. You're like, okay. You know, like no hair on fire, not happening yet. Like I'm okay. Um, and then, uh, our, you know, this is like years after we made that pricing change, um, someone on our, our, business intelligence team was like, Oh, I've done some analysis and we are very underwater with some of our customers. Okay. And you go, look, and what we had done is we created some places in the product where, or in that deal where you could get unlimited um, videos and a limited audience size and people had discovered this pricing. And so what did they do? They started using us for storage and they started using us just for video encoding and all of these different things. And so this tactic, which in the short term had pumped our sales up dramatically, made that year look much better, had actually hurt us over the long term with gross margin, put us Mm -hmm. in a position where we actually had to change the price. We had to go back to all customers and say, like, I'm sorry, we've made a mistake. Um, and we, we have, we have to fix this pricing because it's literally sinking us. And I think there was, there was one customer that was spending like $5,000 a month in revenue that we were losing $25,000 a month on. Wow. But because we were not set up to manage that kind of problem, because we'd never faced that problem before, we just had no clue. And so, yes, we fixed it, It and it it was a a really good lesson. But uh, I think I underestimated the amount of, like, analysis and rigor that needed to go into that kind of decision, and we let let the short-term get the best of us. You know, we were celebrating that win for six months. I was telling people that was the greatest (laughs) thing to do. And I've learned if someone tells me that they have, like, a hack or something that's, like, really working – it's like how how long ago was it that you did that? Is yeah. it still, still working for you? <laughs>
1: just have to tell right. that those things
2: are important questions to ask.
1: Yeah, whenever I'm whenever I'm talking with other agencies, I'm like, we're still testing this. Yeah, you can't look at me and be like, oh, Remington, that a hole, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're and still the world t- changes, right? Markets oh, change, sure. and mm-hmm. I feel like yeah.
2: that's the other thing is like you can test, 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 and you think it's working, and the market shifts, and you're like, God, just you got to follow your instincts again.
1: Mm-hmm. So, question on that. So when you're communicating that back, did you communicate the fact that the pricing? Because I know you guys are pretty transparent in mm-hmm. how you share things. Did you actually share that with those customers?
2: Yeah, so we they, actually had an amazing learning um, in that. So we we took a sample of our customer base that we thought represented every different scenario someone could be in. Um, tons of videos for free. He's paying us a small amount. Tons of videos, huge bandwidth, like, all the different, like, vectors that you could have. And we sent a test out to them. Saying like to a very small sample of the customer base, saying, like, hey, your price is gonna change. And like, we wanna, this is what it's gonna go to, we wanna talk to. You. And we did that and we learned like there was like, you know, certain thresholds that didn't make any sense. The price increase was too large, as people weren't getting back to us, like all this. We learned a lot. And then we did a, another sample that was maybe like, I'm gonna say 10 times bigger, still small numbers. And though we felt like we dialed in the changes in like a really fair way and like a, a good way to communicate it. And we sent it out and people were like, Yeah, we get it. I get that you're making this change, but this doesn't feel like Wistia.
1: Mm.
2: And it was funny because like we were taking our we were really feeling down on on this. And you could tell that we'd sent a video um and we'd written this blog post that these people were seeing, and like, yeah, it just doesn't seem fun. <laughs> Which is such a crazy idea that like, here's something we have to communicate. It's a very tough thing to communicate. And the people who were receiving the message are like, I understand. But this doesn't seem fun. So in the final version that we sent to everybody, we basically made it fun. And we said, like, (laughs) this is where we started. This is, like, the bedroom that we worked out of. This is our first office space. Here's the second one. Who the hell are all these people who work here now? Like, and we've grown a lot as a company, and we have to evolve. We have to change. We basically had much more fun with it. But we also communicated the exact same information. And the wild thing was we changed prices for over 10,000 paying customers. Hmm. Much people were affected too. Um, and there was maybe, I'm going to say a total of like 15 tweets about this and 10 of them were positive. And That's so awesome. we'd, we'd found a way to communicate a very hard thing in a Wistia way. And yeah. by keeping it on brand, it actually allowed people to absorb the message and a reminder of like why they set up with Wistia in the first place.
1: Yeah. So I love that because you said it doesn't feel like Wistia. And I think a lot of companies, um, don't lean in on brand. And you kind of force you got yourself to do that in in yes. that regard. Um, and I think that, I think it's pretty, you know, it's funny because I talked to George B. Thomas about this about six months ago. We have all of the video platforms, like, cause we're, we have to advise on which ones to use and how to use mm-hmm. them. And I've literally had to found myself, and this is not me tooting your horn, but like, literally it was like, Wistia is just so hard not to love. Right. And I remember hearing you talk, I think it was with, um with, the folks over at data box on the ground mm-hmm. up podcast where you're talking mm-hmm. about like that being so much of, of who you guys are. And it's really true and it shows through in everything you guys do. So that's really amazing that you even use that on a negative to help communicate things afterwards. So. I I, yeah, that. I think it's a, yeah, that that's right on the money. And
2: I think it's like, we learned that lesson the hard way in that case, like we weren't communicating in a way that was on brand and with the expectations of the values we'd set up with our audience and with our customers. Yeah. And once we finally did that, they're like, yeah, that's what I signed up for right? Like if, like, okay. if Apple sent you a product that they were late on delivering and they sent it to you in a shitty box, <laughs> you would be like, what just happened? I don't care. It's like, it's late. Make the box great. That's what I'm paying. For. I'm paying for every part of the experience.
1: <laughs> it's true. Um, it, can, it can be and, late if it's a nice uh, box.
2: Yep. Yeah. And I think it's also just like one of those things that for us, it's it's funny, but we're a video company and you know, mm-hmm. video software creation, analytics, all that stuff. At the end of the day, people are delivering files. They're delivering very large video <laughs> files, which we host and send around the word. What we do is quite boring. Um, and it's only the storytelling and the brand around it that I think actually is what people actually connect with. Mm-hmm. And I hear from people all the time, like, well, I have a boring business, how to make it interesting. I was like, if everyone in your industry is boring, then there's an opportunity. Like, figure out That's how to create values that you believe in that can help scale your brand. And if if you can do that, then people will connect with that. And, but you have to live them like you have to live them. And that was an example of us not living them and learning that lesson. again.
1: That's great. Great, great, great. So yeah. now you get to, now you get to, instead of talking about the biggest shipwreck, what's your proudest moment that you've had in the company so far?
2: Um, yeah. You know uh, when we face it, so we faced this decision uh, two years ago, 2017, um, of whether or not we should sell the business. And, you know, if you remember when we started, that's what I thought we were going to do. Yeah. I wanted to sell like, and I, and that is like, I think why most people start companies or at least that's what they tell each other. It's like, Oh, we're going to sell this thing someday. And we're going to be rich. And I, you know, that's what we thought would happen. And it's funny, but in the early, early part of 2017, we had three different companies approach us to buy Wistia and brendan and i you know historically the people have poked around people poke around tech companies all the time and try to buy or get information from you or whatever but this time it seemed real we knew the companies we respected all of them we started having conversations and it was funny because only in this process of having these conversations about what we would do if we sold the business did brendan and i have conversations about like well we're why are we selling why would we sell we're like well we're not having the fun that we used to have and we're not as, it's things aren't as creative as they used to be And we realized if we sold Wistia, we'd try to rebuild a Wistia. You know, we try to, we knew the types of people we'd want to hire. We knew some of the problems we wanted to work on. Like, it was this realization that we'd actually screwed up the thing that we loved. And I remember vividly, like, we were sitting on the deck of a loading dock. Someone else's building over here in Cambridgeport, Massachusetts. And we're having this conversation. We're like, you know, what if we just didn't sell? Like, what if we decided this is a lasting company? And we'll do our, our darndest to build a lasting business. How amazing would that be if we could, if we could fix the things that we'd screwed up. And um, one of the challenges with that was if we were to decide not to sell, then, you know, we have some angel investors where it is it's 1.4 million. Um, people don't invest to get nothing back. They invest to get a return. So if we're not selling, they're not going to get a return. And we'd also been giving stock options to our team and saying like, here's a piece of the company Hopefully someday we'll sell the business and you'll get something for this. And we realized I, we don't want to sell. And if we're not going to sell, we have to do right by everybody. And so we ended up making the decision to raise debt so that we could buy out our investors and give our employees a return. And uh, that was a uh, – you know, it's funny. In many ways, a really hard decision to make and in many ways, an easy decision. But we made that decision – basically bet on ourselves and bet on the business that we could continue to grow. We could serve the debt. We could become profitable again. We could do that creative stuff again. And if it didn't work, it would be a large embarrassment. Um, but at least we would have taken care of everybody. And so that we ended up doing that um, and doing the buyback and, you know, taking care of everyone and set ourselves up to be profitable again. And so I think that was, it's funny. Cause it's one, you know, when you're trying to make decisions like that, that affect everybody and affect your customers and everybody, you know, you try to get to a place where you can sleep well at night. And you'd mm-hmm. think when we were getting all these offers to sell the company, we would be sleeping well.
1: Mm-mm.
2: No, <laughs> I was not sleeping well. There was actually a day we sent an email. Where we're like, if they come back with this number, we're going to be in trouble. Like, cause there's no way we're not going to take that number. Um, and it was actually once we made this decision not to sell it was like instantaneous, better sleep, clear decisions. Um, and I think that's probably that, that restructuring and kind of finding our way back to our roots is probably the thing that I'm I'm most proud of.
1: It's
0: amazing. So at this this point you're, you're not thinking about selling that anymore. So do those stock options then go away? Cause I know like in a lot of those SaaS companies, especially when I hear out out of Boston and stuff, you know, these startups offer these great packages that, well, someday you'll be rich, but now do you still offer those? Is that like now out of your it's gone. It's just you and Brennan. How does that work? Yeah.
2: So great question. And I mean, you know, the, to be, to be totally fair and clear, like we gave stock options to early employees. And I think that was incredibly impactful to them. Like the result we were mm-hmm. able to get. Um, and that's because we couldn't pay them as much and that's the trade-off you're making, but they took a big risk. And you know, everyone dreams of like a um, of selling a business. And I think with the offers we turned down were life-changing offers. And so when we did the buyback, we tried to do it at like a similar price, like very close to that exact offer to try to take care of everyone. But if you go and ask people about this, like if you really do the math on options, it's it's just often fuzzy because like, if you're not public, then, you know, what is the valuation metric? Like oh, yeah. you know, what, how many multiples is it? How yeah. fast are you growing? All these, uh, what, all these things affect the number that make it hard to, to make it very unpredictable. So mm-hmm. when we did the deal um, and the restructuring, we wanted one deal that would get us through to this other side. So we told our angel investors who had preferred shares that if you want to do this deal and you want to participate, you need to vote to convert to common shares. So it's the same type of shares that Brendan and I have. So anyone who would not sell, didn't sell things, they're going to be on the same boat as Brendan and I, and they'll be taken care of however Brendan and I are taken care of over time. Um, And then for the team, we said, you can hold on to the options if you want to, but we're going to introduce profit sharing. We want one incentive structure for each person. So if you keep the options, no profit sharing. Um, if you sell your options, then we will do profit sharing. And the nice thing about profit sharing is that everyone can see the tangible impact on, like, how much profit we have on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, on an annual basis. And you can do the math, and it basically works out to a bonus percentage. Mm-hmm. And so that is what we have done. And it's worked really well, actually, in this bizarre way. You know, people uh, talk about options as a way to create ownership in the business. But the numbers are so fuzzy, it's very hard to do that. And what we've seen with profit sharing is by having hard numbers that people can understand and they can actually affect. Um, that the, the first day that we had an all hands meeting, after talking about the profit sharing and introducing profit sharing, there was like, anyone have any questions about the finances? they was like, a million questions. And like, you know, why do we have this extra office space? Why are we doing X Y Z? Can we cut costs over? Can we cut costs over here? Blah 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 blah. All these questions, yeah. and they're they're really healthy questions actually, which is like, how do we run the business better? Um, and so for us, that's the incentive structure that we've used and anyone that we're hiring who joins gets to participate and
1: that's trade. awesome. That's Very awesome. Cool. And I, I remember reading that, uh, increasingly long article a while back and about the, you guys <laughs> hiring, taking on debt. Was it, um, how, uh, how an offer to sell whiskey inspired you guys to take us yes.
2: our like 4,000 was- word tome.
1: <laughs> yeah. But you know what though? So, and I read every word back when that came out because it it, it just reinforced like this dedication from a brand point of view, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so it was really, it was really cool to see that. And I can only imagine how your employees reacted because you probably had another 4,000 words for them too. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> cool thing was
2: <laughs> we, we like, we took the team along on the journey. So when we decided we weren't going to sell, we had an all hands meeting. We told everyone like, this is why we started this business this is what we know what we want to be when we grow up. And I'm like, wow. They're like, well, what are you gonna do about options? We're gonna do it. We're like, we don't know. And then the next month was like, we think we know. We're gonna raise debt, but we haven't done it yet. <laughs> it's like, we have debt coming. And, it, you know, and debt's a scary word, right? Like, sure. Um, and so explaining that to everybody. But I think the cool thing is now, you know, we're, we're an open book company. Uh, we're transparent about how the business is doing. And so everyone can see that and, and, know, and knows it and can impact it. Um, and it's, it's shifted the culture to be one of ownership, but you also know what you're getting. And if you want the options, that's the only thing you want, then like Wistia isn't the place. But if you want a place that's, you know, profitable and focused long-term and taking creative risks, then we could be the place.
1: I love that you guys are a tech company and you've mentioned profit as much as anything else in this meeting. Um, it's not usually something you hear at the same time. So, uh, round of applause for that. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. What a cool growth journey. Um, so as you, as you've laid this out and you've taken this, this journey that we just talked about, uh, I want to talk about the navigational tools. So I was doing a little research be- beforehand and a, and a, one of your LinkedIn recommendations called your imagination vivid, and it describes your unlimited endurance when developing ideas mm-hmm. and founding and developing Wistia. So those I would guess, uh, unlimited endurance and, and developing ideas, must be nice.
1: right?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those must be tools.
2: It's great. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: let's talk about some other navigational tools. Like what do you, what do you look back now and think, okay, this is what I had, or this is what I wish I had when yeah. taking this journey.
2: Yeah. I think, um, in a lot of cases, uh, I'm a believer that your superpowers are often also your weaknesses. Mm. And so, like the things that you're an extreme at are going to benefit you in some way, and they're going to hurt you in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think like we've always had this like this—you can call it endurance, you can call it long-term thinking. But Brendan and I, from the beginning, have had had a crazy long-term view on what we're trying to do, mm. to a point where we saw <laughs> this change happening with online video. And we're like the codecs have changed. There's open source tools. There's going to be video everywhere. Businesses are going to adopt this. And we like jumped in and did this thing that took like six years before, like, so, Oh, the traction's coming. You know, like that's kind of lunacy. Um, and, but it's worked to our advantage because we stayed so focused on the long term. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there was a period of time when, um, we were trying to fake it to make it, you know, we were trying to, we were trying to act like a bigger company. We were trying to, um, have all the answers, and I thought as a leader, you're supposed to have all the answers, aren't you? Like people are supposed to ask you questions, you have all the answers. And it took me a while to figure out that like you're not. Like actually, the leader should be the first one to say, I don't know the answer. Let's figure right. it out. And um, you know, I think also even faking it till you make is the same thing. It's like, oh, we look professional, and we're um, we're a big company, and you can trust us. And that's what you think the messages you're putting out to the world, but everyone who's looking at your message, when you're saying things like that, they know that you're four people. Like you can't right. hide it. Like it's in the design. It's in the presentation. It's in the LinkedIn page. Like it's clear that you're a small business and you have to actually own that and recognize that there are a lot of people that literally they want to be the first person using a product because they see it as an edge. And if they are the first person to use a new thing and that's where they think most of the opportunity is going to be, they will purposely pick the company that has two people doing it versus the company that has 200. Mm -hmm. And I did not understand that. And it took a few years of really getting confident and comfortable that like, actually we should be, we should be authentic and truthful about who we are as a company and how big we are. What are the risks that we can take, how we're running the business and we should put that out into the world and the people who want to work with a company like us at the stage we're at, they'll pick us. And uh, I wish I had learned that earlier. I think we would have had a, a bunch of lessons. The, the, a bunch of things would have happened faster. Um, and then I've learned also something that is like, it's sometimes you have instincts on what you want to do. And um, actually a lot. And you do, at least for me, I do my best work when I can follow my instincts and be confident that I know what my instincts are. And if they're wrong, Usually I can live with it if it's my instincts. The problem I have had is when you hear a story about somebody else doing something and you go against your instincts and you make a serious investment and then it doesn't work. That is brutal. That sucks because now you're the guy who, or the gal who made the decision to do a thing like against what you think, how you think something should work. Um, it just is way more painful and I've, so basically, I've learned that I'd rather be wrong and follow my instincts than definitely much rather be wrong and follow my instincts than be wrong and follow someone else's. And sure. that, to do that, you have to be honest with yourself about like what you know and the risk you can tolerate and the people around you. Um, and that's hard, but it's, it's like, it's good work. It's good work to do. And it's something that if you're honest about, kind of like where you are in your stage of life and where you are with your company and what kind of traction you actually have, I think makes it much easier to uh, make those decisions.
1: Awesome. So I've got a couple, just a couple questions for visitors and uh, our viewers and listeners, because we didn't ask this in the beginning. So Wistia obviously is your company. How long have you had Wistia? Started Wistia in
2: 2006. So it's been 13 okay. years.
1: Awesome. Congratulations on that. And how many employees do you have?
2: About a hundred and ten.
1: Okay, there we are. So at least some perspective. Yeah, um that's good. But that's awesome. And so in that first year, how many employees did you have when you're like, oh, we're we're doing this? Two, two. <laughs> Love it. Okay, that's the answer I wanted. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right, Dan. I know you had. I I came in and snuck that one while no, you. Oh, that's
0: all right. It's a conversation, isn't it? Right. <laughs> um. So those are good navigational tools. Now, if you could go back and say, okay, I want to be a wayfinder for someone else. What what advice would you give them to make their like North Star?
2: I would say find who you think your best customer is and stay like very, very close to them. And staying close to them is actually going to, um, you're going to have to change what you do to stay close to them as your company grows. So in the early days, you're talking to your customer, you're at meetups, you're, you know, whatever. You're taking, putting money in AdWords, you're writing content, you're doing all the different things. And you know, hopefully, who you're writing content for, or putting ads out to the world for, or whatever. Um, but then as the company grows, there's other people who take on all those roles. And it's easier and easier and easier to fall away from that connection. Mm. I think, like, whenever we do our best work, we are really close to the problems that our customer has that they are trying to solve and problems where if our customer can solve them, then they do better in their career. Then they do better um, than their company does better Then the people around them do better. Um, And I think you have to, you have to find a way of staying close to the customer. And and like at 110 people, that's completely different than what it was at two. And it's completely different than what we were at 10. It's completely different than what we were at 50. It's completely different than what it was when we were 80. Honestly, it's crazy, Mm -hmm. but there's like, different people who are better at a part of a role and they take it on, they take it really far and they have a depth of understanding with the customer. And it's like, how do you get back to that? And so like today, when I think about running Wistia, I try to have like a balance of information that's coming in from like, what am I hearing about from our, about our customers, from our support team, people who are already existing customers from the sales team, people who are talking to potential customers, research, people who maybe could be customers someday, maybe couldn't product management. Then I go talk to the customers. Then I go talk to the partners and you, and you have to get like this mix of conversations and information to try to get a clear picture of the challenges that somebody actually has today and what challenges you think they're going to have next? And it's that understanding that in the early days can help you make decisions quickly that might feel like big decisions, but you just know who the customer is. And it's the same thing that you need when your company is much bigger and um, if you want to continue to make big decisions quickly, you need, you need to know the problems that your customers have and you need to know where they're going.
1: love it.
0: Great advice. Absolutely. Amen. This is, there's a ton of good information here, Chris. This has been absolutely fun. Um, I, before, before Remington maybe takes over here, I, I want to I ask kind of a, a side question. What is an art semiotics degree? Did I say that right?
2: <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, That's so cool. I went to Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. And um, Brown likes to do things differently. No curriculum. They have the open curriculum. Yeah. Take any classes you want. Create your own major. Art Semiotics was a combination of two degrees. Uh, one was visual arts and the other one was modern culture and media. But effectively what it meant was like the theory behind uh, filmmaking. And so well, I, I wanted to do film in school and I wanted to learn like the production aspects of it. But – at Brown in art semiotics, that means like a lot of theory, a lot of film theory. Um, and yeah, so that's, and they just do it differently. So it's called, it's called art semiotics.
0: Every, it's funny because I, every time I look at it, it, it looks like a different word to me. And I'm like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it plays a role in what you did. So
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, semiotics is like the study of symbols and signs and meaning behind things. I don't know. It's a it's, it's a jargony thing.
1: But, That's uh, deep. That's good. But it's good. been
2: good. It's been good to me.
1: Well, what's know. awesome is it sounds like you're actually doing what you went to school for in one way, shape, or form.
2: You know, that is the weirdest thing about this whole thing. Honestly, it's like <laughs> I went to school for film. I worked on this feature documentary. That I was so fortunate to work on. I started as an intern, and we did pretty well with it. And then I worked on a bunch of other film roles. And I was like, ah, actually, I don't know if film is the thing for me. I'd always dreamed of making a software company. Um Software's like in my blood. My dad's a uh, professor of computer science. My brother does computer science. My former brother-in-law is computer science. Like, it's all around me. a beta testing shit in the early days. And <laughs> so I was like, software company. And then here we go. The two things together. Like, now we're just like, it's so Magic. weird.
1: It's awesome. It's amazing. I have a production <laughs> called Brandwagon. <It's> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. Full circle. That's great. That's great.
0: Uh, so my last question, I just had to ask this, where do all those VHS tapes come from? Or mm. at least the covers.
2: Um, they're oh, all, gosh. no, these are all real. You could take awesome. any of these, plug them in, they'll work.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
2: uh, where did they come from? Have you heard of savers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Savers is like a discount.
0: <laughs> I have actually. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Discount store. Um, a lot of them are from savers and, uh, you know, we, we put out a call internally and, uh, you know, there's a few people who are like, oh, I, I still have a bunch. Uh, so I that. <laughs> it is funny though, cause the era that these movies represent, like, I don't know how much you can see, but it's like, honey, I shrunk the kids, goodwill hunting, platoon, Notting Hill. Like it's ridiculous. The rock, like I've seen this is the era of movies that I grew up with that yeah. I love. And then most of them, you know, they kind of made it to DVD, but it's just from that very, very specific era. Like if you are 35 and you look at this wall, you're like, yeah, I've basically seen 90% of this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, it's a weird experience. It takes me back every time.
1: Absolutely. Our kids are gonna be like, what's that black box?
2: Yeah, what is this thing?
1: Yeah.
2: Why do you have this physical media, dad?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. great. So Chris, this has been fun. So is, is there anything else that we didn't ask you that you want to make sure that our listeners and viewers know?
2: No, you I mean you guys ask great questions. Um, I would say the big thing we're having a lot of fun with right now is Brand Wagon, which we talked about. Check it out. Got more fun guests coming up and more more fun interviews. Um yeah. And, you know, doing our thing at Wistia. Just hanging.
0: Awesome. It's been a lot of fun, man. We'll put some links in the show notes and uh Yeah, man, thanks for being a, a Wayfinder with us, Chris.
2: of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks thanks for inviting me to Wayfind a little. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it. Post it, tweet it, gram it, email a friend. Give the gift of knowledge to someone you know that could benefit from it. And if you really loved it, please consider leaving a rating and written review on your podcast player of choice. And as always, go to wayfindinggrowth.com for resources and past episodes. Remember, we're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Thank you for listening to Wayfinding Growth.